A written transcript of this episode is provided by Starburst. For more information, you can see the show notes. With a massive move to distributed data architecture, it's essential to have access to all of your data wherever it is. A data mesh emphasizes domain-driven data ownership, data as a product, self-service infrastructure, and federated computational governance, giving you faster time to value without needing to transport your data. Starburst allows you to achieve this distributed architecture by allowing you to run SQL queries across distributed data that connect sources, regions, and clouds. For more information on how your team can benefit from a data mesh strategy, check out our data mesh resource center on our website. Data Mesh Radio is provided as a free community resource by Data Mesh Understanding. It is produced and hosted by me, Scott Hurlman. I started this podcast as a place for practitioners to get useful information about Data Mesh, and we're at over 200 episodes. I've now left Data Stacks, you know, thanks for all their help in founding things, but I've left to start Data Mesh Understanding, which is also helping practitioners to get to the information needed to do Data Mesh well. We have free implementer introduction and roundtable programs in addition to the more advanced yet affordable offerings. So please do get in touch if you're looking for more information on how to do, how to approach Data Mesh. Just check datameshunderstanding.com for more info. There's also a helpful organization of past Data Mesh radio episodes there if you want to dig into specific topics rather than digging through 200 different episodes. So with that, let's hit the funky intro music and listen to what you'll hear about in this interview episode. Bottom line up front, what are you going to hear about and learn about in this episode? I interviewed Lorenzo Nicora, Principal Data Consultant at Data Mesh and AI-focused consultancy Mesh-AI. He wanted to emphasize that they are also hiring. (laughs) I asked Lorenzo to be on to continue the series of interviews on domain-driven design, or DDD, for data. You will hear DDD a lot, so just map that in your head to domain-driven design. It is a topic that many are struggling with in Data Mesh, so having lots of perspectives on it is crucial, in my opinion. On the episode title specifically, a key output from this interview was explicit permission to skip a lot of the tactical patterns of DDD, which is where a lot of people really get bogged down. Others have also said similar things, but I wanted to make sure it was explicit that you can skip these things. Before we jump into the DDD parts, Lorenzo made a really, really good point on your data mesh proof of concept slash starting your journey. You need to start with manageable problems. Start with a consumer-driven problem, but a source slash producer-aligned data product. There's some real nuance there that uh, goes into more in the episode, but essentially start with a bit of a narrow scope of your first you know, data product or few data products that are fit for purpose, but that are not a downstream of what will become data products. Deriving a lot of data for a consumer aligned data product before having those source slash producer aligned data products 
will likely lead to many headaches. If you go for too big or too complicated early, it is much harder to prove value. Again, there's a lot of nuance in there, but I think it's covered well in the episode. Per Lorenzo, identifying the domains is crucial, but it is the hardest part of domain-driven design. That shouldn't scare you because you can start with things being a bit blurry. Many are trying to bite off more than they can chew and do too much upwork front when it comes to DDD for data. It's important to understand your high-level domains, but you can get moving without mapping out all of your domains and subdomains and things like that. A key theme for Lorenzo, and one that was emphasized a lot by Andrew Harmel Law in his DDD for Data episode with Danilo Sato, is that the language is at the center of everything in DDD. It is part of the data modeling, and it goes all the way down to the code. We'll get into that a little bit more later. DDD is all about communication, knowledge capture, and knowledge sharing. Those might seem to be a lot overlapping, but really, I, I don't think they are. Knowledge capture is about extracting knowledge and then you know writing it down, actually capturing it. Knowledge sharing is about finding scalable ways to share that knowledge, to share that context. It's not just writing it down. It's making sure it's accessible and putting it in front of people. Communication permeates, but it is really important to emphasize how crucial it is to getting DDD for data and data mesh right in general. So many of the kind of hacks that we hear uh, on this show are just getting people to talk to each other. (laughs) Um, Some advice and pointers from Lorenzo, you know, Number one, teams have to truly understand the language of their own domain. Remove the ambiguities. Even if that feels like it's putting in too much work, if it's being too kind of pedantic, you really have to remove those ambiguities, especially before you start to talk to other teams. Number two, event storming is a great way to approach tackling DDD for data. Number three, event sourcing is crucial for modeling the problems of the domain. And I'll be honest, I'm still a little confused between event sourcing and event storming. So if anybody else is too, I get it. Number four, terminology is very key. Identify the domain experts who can find slash choose the right name for each concept. It really is important to get this language right. And I'll admit, I I struggle very mightily at that. So if others do, I totally get you, but it's important to really focus on this. Number five, keep a live document of terms and meanings for each domain and keep it updated. Number six, as somewhat covered earlier, encourage everyone to use the identified terminology when naming things and in the code directly. Number seven, find your high-level domains first instead of trying to find all your granular subdomains. It's okay, again, for that to be blurry as you're moving forward. Number eight, ask your consumers for their specific data asks, and then back into what would be a good data product or set of data products to really start with. And again, look for high return, low effort slash low investment to get some wins under your belt and build your muscle memory as you're getting going. Some key things to understand that I took from this conversation and some that Lorenzo specifically said, Number one, language changes. 
It changes across time and across the organization. The same words mean different things or different words mean the same things. And again, that can be from domain to domain or as time moves, things can change. Abhi Sivasilam mentioned something similar in his episode around the evolution of the word order at Flexport. A major weakness of the central slash enterprise data warehouse is the inability to easily deal with changes through time or that nuance across the organization. You're trying to fit everything into a single centralized model, so you can't really have that nuance very easily. Number two, when you first identify your domains, the domains might be blurry and that's okay. Talked about it multiple times in this in this uh, intro. It's okay to not have everything perfect up front. You need to have your bearings and really get going. Number three, data cr- contracts are really crucial and the semantic issues, not the schema, are the most important and the hardest part. And you can't just break your contracts. There has to be a reason why you're breaking them or no one will trust it is an actual contract instead of just a pub-sub model with some versioning where you just go, eh, we're moving to the next version. You have to think about this as if you're actually making a contract and you can change the terms of those contracts, but you have to have that communication and people have to trust that you're going to do your best to actually serve the purpose of a contract. Number four, study up on and really think about your data on the inside versus data on the outside concept. If you aren't familiar, there's a link in the show notes to Pat Helen's work on the concept. Uh, this comes up over and over and over in a lot of these data mesh chats. So I think really getting your arms around what data on the inside, data on the outside really means. And that can also start to, to help you think about where your domain boundaries are. So this is a really, really valuable one. Again, I, I think all of the ones around domain-driven design for data. So the one that was very early on with Paolo Plotter, the one with um, Andrew Harmel Law and Danilo Sato, the one with Pitain Strangholt, and this one, I think they're really important for getting your arms around data mesh. So with that, I think you'll enjoy this one and let's jump in. Okay, enough of just me. Let's hear from our awesome guest in this interview episode. Very, very excited about today's episode. I've got uh, Lorenzo Nicora on. Uh, he's the principal data consultant at Mesh-AI, which is a uh, new consulting company that's focused on data mesh and, and AI consulting. Um, I asked Lorenzo to be on around this topic of domain-driven design for data, which it's something where I think we need lots of perspectives on this, and there's just not a lot of content specific to doing domain-driven design for data. And there are some people who say, oh, it's just domain-driven design, and it doesn't matter that it's about for data. And it's like, well, 
to me, that's not necessarily the case because of, of two things. One, identifying your domains is a little bit different. And two, a lot of the people who have worked and lived on the data side haven't been working in domains. Or if they have been working in domains, it hasn't been in the same way that the microservices realm has. And so domains typically have meant just really bad silos instead of a cohesive way of working across the organization. So I think that this is important topic to continue to, to, to provide more perspective on. And, and Lorenzo has a really, really good perspective and a really good um, kind of thought approach to this. So I'm, I'm very excited for this episode. So Lorenzo, if, if you don't mind, if you could give people a bit of a background on who, you're set, who you are and, and kind of how we're, we're coming to this conversation, then we can jump into the topic at hand. Thank you, Scott. Thank you, Scott. Very happy to, to be here. So yes, my, my background, as, as you mentioned, I'm principal data consultant at Mesh AI, just one word about the company. So we are a new consultancy, VC funded. We are based in London and we are, uh, what we are doing is using the principle of data science and the principle behind data mesh to help our client extracting value from the data they have. And by the way, we are aggressively growing and we are hiring, especially if you are a non-traditional data engineer, we please get in touch. More about myself. Uh, I've been in industry for about more than 25 years now. I'm, I feel I'm getting old. Uh, <laughs> I'm switching between consultancy and product companies, depending on the phase of my professional life. Many of the product companies were in finance. Um, I come from a software engineering background, uh, and then I moved to more you know, distributed system microservices, so I kind of sharing the background of the idea of the data mesh, if you want. And then I moved into more data-intensive application and the data space in the most recent year. I also worked a lot uh, with event-driven system and event sourcing, something I think is very important for data, something I found, I'm finding very important in my data work day by day. Um, well, one word about domain-driven design, if it makes sense. I discovered it in 2005 or something like that. Mm -hmm. I got this, it was a freshly printed, copy of the blue book from Eric Evans from <laughs> the shelf of, of the company I was worked with at the time. And it was kind of light bulb moment for me. I said, oh, yeah, this is what I was missing. Um, uh, I don't consider myself, you know, a, a strict uh, domain-driven design practitioner. Domain-driven design is not my job, my main uh, job, but right. I, I find it very, very useful uh, across my work and also uh, in my recent work around data. Yeah, and I, I think one thing that I, I just wasn't very familiar with DDD until kind of earlier this year, but I like the, the summation of it as being a framework for communicating across teams. And it's a framework for communicating person to person, you know, business to business concept and technical to technical, like at the actual software or at the, you know, in the data space at the data product level, that it makes it so that we have a framework to approach communication because communication is always the hardest part, right? Like there's all these things where people are like, you know, I think somebody uh, on one of the episodes recently said, you know, building software is the hardest part 
other than all the other parts of building software, right? <laughs> like <laughs> all the other stuff is even harder than than just the, the coding aspect. So yeah. No, I absolutely agree. Uh, the the communication is key. Uh, communication, also in the broader sense, you know, knowledge capturing, knowledge sharing, uh, but and and the idea that is behind the data domain driven design, uh, the fact that you use the, the 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 you put the communication at the center, you put the language at the center, and you use it across your activity, across you know your modeling, across your coding, if you're talking about you know building microservices or traditional software, but also in your, you know in your modeling, if we are talking about more you know traditional data work, this is extremely important. And I, I think this is the reason the 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 concept that I find most valuable from domain different design especially in data, not only in data, but especially in data, is the, the idea of the language, of the ubiquitous language, if it makes sense. So the, 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 the fact that teams must put an effort in understanding the business language, these are, there is actually a, a big work here from the, let's say, domain-driven design practitioner in the team, uh, uh, forcing, not forcing, sorry, that's a bad word, but uh, <laughs> encouraging uh, everybody in the team, in the extended team, using the language, but also distilling it. So trying to remove the ambiguities that are typical in the you know business jargon, but still using terms and terminology that are exact from the business point of view and encouraging everybody, including all, including the engineers, using this language for communicating with the uh, uh, domain experts and putting this language in their modeling in their data modeling and in their coding and, and whatever. This is definitely uh, uh, one central point that I found incredibly useful uh, uh, as well in data. And uh, if I can say, a related, sub, a related point to the language is, and domain-driven design is recognizing that language changes across the domains. Yes, and evolution, this is evolution, key. evolution, 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 evolution. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, but ch- changes in time, that, this is actually interesting. You, 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 good point. The, the language changes in time, but also changes across the, you know, the, the organization. Oh, yeah. So uh, 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 one point is this uh, uh, actually highlights, the, 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 for me, the, 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 the fallacy of some uh, uh, very traditional approaches to data in a big organization, like you know, building a central data model for the organization, one model that ruined them all. Uh, from my point of view, coming from a domain-driven design approach, this is kind of hopeless, and this is the weakness of, of the of, of this approach, and this is the weakness of the central enterprise data warehouse. Uh, uh, to answer all the questions for the org- organization. And this is actually the, the big benefit, or, 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 sorry, or, of the data mesh. This is the weakness that the idea of the data mesh is trying to address. Is the main one for me. Is the most important one for me. There are also others, but this is the most important one. Uh, I, so I, I can make some examples, some practical examples from the real world, some example I, I, I yeah. encountered in my life of, uh, so, for example, I was working a few years ago for a big airline, uh, and they were trying to write an API, but it's exactly the same problem as, you know, modeling the data. Uh, it's mm-hmm. not a different problem. And they were struggling with modeling the concept of flight. 
that is, <laughs> you know, it's a very simple one. It's very basic. Oh, it, obvious. I mean, it's, this is the main mm, subject of our work. <laughs> yes, of course. Except the flight is not exactly the same for, uh, you know, the passengers, maintenance or crew or, well, many other domains uh, within the big airline and they are absolutely struggling and they end up with a monster uh, of a flight uh, in some, for some domains the identity was at least the same so the identity of a flight was a, at least the same one across some of the domains but yeah. for other domains even the, the, the flight was a totally different thing or just another example, uh, in, in finance, uh, I worked with a company who was you know, uh, selling different um, asset allocation of funds to, to the customer. So customer can just pick the one allocation or the other. And there was a very simple or very fundamental concept of portfolio, uh, except it has two completely different meanings for the, uh, the investment team who was you know, designing the investment strategy or from the point of view of the customer, uh, and for the customer was literally the stocks I have in my portfolio, I have yeah. in my pocket. Uh, uh, and just this, you know, very fundamental uh, uh, concept was, uh, had completely different meaning in two different domains uh, in, in a single organization that wasn't too big, or just think about the final one, the, the concept of transaction in finance. <laughs> this had so many different meanings. Uh, depending on who you are talking to, uh, that I mean, it's kind of hopeless. Imagine if you are trying to build one model somewhere in an API or in a traditional central data warehouse, and you want to say, oh, transactions or portfolio. How do you, how, how can you manage that? Yeah. It's, it's kind of, yeah. And, and one, one thing that you brought up that, that I'd like to emphasize was, you know, when you talk about domain-driven design, um, they talk about how important that language is and the, the language flows down into the code and into the modeling. But within data, it's not just ones and zeros when you think about the language, it's also the semantics. And so it's like even more important that you're, you're thinking through that language because the semantics matter. If, if you just say weight, is that, is that weight in pounds or kilograms or stones or even like grams or kilograms, right? It's like the same type of, of measurement, but, you know, orders of magnitude. And so it's just like you have to, or, or people bring up age. It's like, is it the, how old something is or age since something happened? Is it in minutes? Is it in seconds? Is it microseconds, milliseconds, days, months, years? <laughs> like, Absolutely. This is part for me of, you know, distilling the language in the broader sense, not just finding the right term, but finding, uh, you know, the, the, a qualified term that can be, a term can be a field in a data model and it need to be super explicit. Also, as you are saying, in the, in terms of what is the unit of yeah. measurement, this must be explicit. Uh, either in the definition of the term, in some cases, uh, this might be you know part of it, or in the documentation, if you want. Yeah. For me, it's, it's like you know an extended part of the language, uh, and this is why I, I, I agree with you. This is why uh, the, the language in, in the in the terms of the domain-driven design is incredibly important for data as well. 
And, and hopefully we haven't scared anybody off at, at this point. Um, so I, I, I did want to start with kind of, or I guess uh, continue with, we talked a little bit offline about strategic versus tactical concepts and applying that to data when it comes to DDD. And that, you know, there are a lot of aspects of DDD that we can kind of maybe come back to or kind of push aside or even toss aside where we don't have to do every aspect of every bit of it. So um, you've got kind of a framework for, for thinking about that. If you could give people some some guidance on where the strategic versus the tactical and, and what they need to really think on. Uh, uh, absolutely. So especially when we are talking about data, I think, uh, sorry, uh, the, the definition between uh, the distinction between strategic and tactical design is something that, again, is, is commonly uh, understood in the domain-driven design community. And also new publications are making this distinction explicit in the chapters. Yeah. Um, so from my point of view for data, the uh, um, strategic concepts around domain-driven design are very important. Most of them, well, first of all, the idea of the domain, or if you want subdomain, if you want to be more specific, and the idea of bounded context in some uh, sense. Domains are more in the problem space, while bounded contexts are more in the solution space. This distinction is not so important, I think, for data. But the idea of identifying the domain and defining them, this is incredibly important in, in data. And this is one of the foundations of the data mesh as well. Um, uh, something that is important as well, I, I'm not mentioning again the language because I talk a lot about that, but uh, is the idea of the aggregate, of the aggregate rule. I think that's important as well, not as an implementation specifically, that's not important at all. But it's important because aggregates are often the, 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 our data products, if you want, uh, the, the ports uh, we, uh, we, uh, uh, we open to the external world from the domain uh, on our data. So understanding and identifying the aggregates uh, is very important. Uh, Definitely less important, I would say, and definitely part that people who are working around data can skip are uh, the more you know tactical design patterns. Uh, I don't know service repository value objects. Uh, I think you can skip them if you want. <laughs> uh, if you are more you know a data practitioner and less a software practitioner, uh, there is an area that is quite re- relatively recent in uh, in uh, the domain driven design community. Uh, is not covering the blue book in the original blue book, but mm-hmm. it's part of the domain-driven design community. Is about event sourcing. I found it, I'm not sure whether it's tactical or, 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 or strategic. Someone may say it's tactical, but I found it. I found it very very useful in the um, in, in in data because many apologies many of the uh, i found i found myself modeling some of the problem as events many times right. when we are talking about data even you know analytical data uh, it, this is definitely beneficial so understanding the concept of event sourcing and uh, event driven system or better event sourced system is very very useful and, and when you're talking about event sourcing, is that the same thing as event storming, where it's getting together and, and 
um, figuring out what is a business event versus, you know, when people also talk about events, especially in data right now, people are thinking about streaming and like streaming events and things like that. So is this more the concept of something happened in the real world? Or is it more about the, I'm putting an actual event on an event streaming type of technology? <laughs> no, th this is a good point. So th th these are kind of three separate points, even though they are related. So event storming is a different thing. I would like to talk about that. But mm -hmm. that's more a technique that is around, is based around events, around domain events, is very valuable. We can talk about that uh, 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 later. Uh, I'm more talking about uh, the modeling, the problem, and the change in the business in terms of events. Doesn't really matter whether we are talking about streaming or data at rest, because events can be, you know, stored and queried, or can be streamed as events, notifying systems dynamically can be uh, at rest or in motion. Doesn't really matter. What is important is thinking in terms of events and modeling your problem uh, around domain events. So events that are relevant for the business, not accidental. It's, it's not a notification between two systems. This is something that has happened in, in, in the business. I, I don't know, the uh, customer has confirmed the payment or uh, the customer has changed his own address. Yeah. Um, making super simple example, uh, I found it very, very valuable modeling the problem in this way, also when it's about making data available for analytical use cases. Yeah, I, I think this is something that's, um, that is different when you're thinking about data. Historically, a lot of what um, data has had to deal with is kind of the exhaust and the exhaust from the operational system is kind of what is the current system setting versus what happened. And that's, that's that real world change, that real world information about something occurred. That is, is what I think, um, a lot of this ends up a lot of, data mesh, domain-driven design for data, all, all these different things is just getting us out of that world of I've tried to develop the system to be as simple as and performant as possible, or even just as performant as possible, because with normalization, it's not really that simple. But that's that's the operational world. And we have to think about how we do everything for the actual you know, analytical world and how do we push that those concepts back into uh, designing operational systems? I think we're still a few years away from, from really figuring out how to do that well. But I think that that's really, really crucial. So um, and and uh, sorry, did you have anything you wanted to add there? Or did you want to jump into kind of the the concept of ubiquitous language? Uh, no, that, that's fine. I mean, don't let me start talking about event sourcing and streaming. Otherwise, I will uh, I will not stop. <laughs> no, no, better we, we, we cover other subjects. We might record a, a different uh, uh, episode of the uh, of the podcast about how to use uh, you know events and streaming uh, in yeah. the data world for analytical use cases. Let's put them aside for now. <laughs> So ubiquitous language, you know, what you talked about earlier was that there is 
a ubiquitous language. It's kind of funny because ubiquitous is actually, to me, not the the best phrase because it's ubiquitous within the domain. It's not ubiquitous within the organization. You know, it doesn't. This word doesn't mean the same word in in these different um, domains or or things like that. But ubiquitous language is again figuring out how to remove those abstractions remove the the confusion around what what are we actually talking about what does this mean um you know jamak in in uh the data mesh article she's tried to kind of create some of her own language and then tried to make it ubiquitous so that people could understand it but that's that's a massive massive challenge so like how if people haven't thought about having these conversations like I'd love to to just get your thoughts around how do people start to figure out how to define their ubiquitous language and how to to really like you know you wrote, we we talked about the fallacy of the single view of a customer or this customer means this where it could be a household it mm. could be a person it could be a, a company exactly. it could be the person within the company it could be all sorts of fun different things so uh, just exactly broad, broad, uh, tee up, but, uh, you know, how, how can people start to think about this ubiquitous language? Uh, so, okay. No, it, it's a good point. Again, uh, yeah, there is no short answer. There is no easy <laughs> recipe, unfortunately. Uh, but I, I would say, uh, well, what starting point is identifying the domains at least at high level. Mm-hmm. And one symptom of a boundary of a domain, by the way, is the change of the language. Uh, uh, so when you see one of w- one of the key concepts, uh, I was mentioning flight uh, for an airline. I was mentioning portfolio for an investment company. When you see uh, the meaning of these key terms changing, this is likely to be a, a domain boundary. It's not the only symptom, but it's likely to be uh, this one. So the point is identifying the domains Focusing on one domain, even though it's kind of, it might be a bit blurred in terms of the boundary, but at least you have good ideas. And then you need to start identifying the real domain experts of that domain. Uh, this might be challenging in big organizations because there, is a, there are a lot of intermediaries around domain experts. You, so you need to have access to the real domain, so the real people who knows the, the, the business, the specific business. I don't know if you are talking about uh, 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 the accountancy of a big finance, you need to talk with accountants. Mm-hmm. In big organization, you always have many business analysts, you always have many program managers around them. They're good. They have their, their function, of course, but you don't need to talk with them for for understanding the domain and defining the language. So start identifying the domain expert, speak directly with them, and trying to work with them to figure out the what is the right term for each concept, the right term they use. So it might be a business term, not a made-up term by a technical person. Uh, but you need to work with them to remove any ambiguities. Because often um, domain experts are happy to work with some ambiguities in their terms because for them are natural, but these are not natural for other people. So you need to work with them, identifying these ambiguities, possibly finding synonyms for terms that are less ambiguous or 
qualifying the terms. So don't be worried about having long qualified terms uh, like, I don't know, a payment transaction. Okay, this is not too long, but it's not just transaction. It's something specific about payment. Oh, credit card payment transaction, even more qualified. This is more specific. And this is clear. And this is different uh, from another type of transaction from another domain within the same business, for example. Um, so I think this is very important. Then, of course, there is a manual process of you know identifying them and recording them. Uh, it's not about you know writing down a dictionary and then having that carved in stone, but keeping like a live document. Everybody can reference that. But the important thing, the, the dictionary is not the goal. The dictionary is just the mean. It's just a reference for people, for new people joining the team. Uh, uh, but then you 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 should encourage, uh, as I was saying, everybody in the team, including the engineers, including the data engineers that are you know writing the, the modern and writing the code, to use this terminology when they are writing their uh, uh, transformation code, for example, when they are writing some uh, modeling of events uh, uh, on streaming versus uh, data at rest, doesn't really matter. When they're naming things, they should use the right term. And this drives to the importance of calling things the right way. Uh, sometimes I find in uh, in engineers, I'm an engineer myself, so I, I reckon the the you know the some of the weakness of uh, us engineers just rushing uh, over business term doesn't matter I mean doesn't matter the way you call it the important thing is it works exactly as it's supposed to be no actually calling it right is the very first step to make it right and calling it right is not about you know the right technical term is not about calling it I don't know. Uh, factory uh, versus singleton that doesn't matter that's a different problem is calling right in terms of the right uh, business term that is understandable also to someone in the business and someone in the business some domain expert will recognize the term immediately and understand exactly what we are talking about well and let's talk a little bit about the so what of what we've talked about thus far? Like, why does this matter? And and I'll, I'll give you what I'm thinking the summation is, and you, you correct me because I'm sure I'll, I'll, I'll not get it all correct. So a lot of what we're talking about is within the domain. We haven't started to talk about domain to domain communication really yet. So this is about understanding what is actually going on within your own domain, getting everybody communicating in the same way so that you are prepared when you actually start to talk to other domains, that you can share your information in such a way that you can, again, have that business-to-business, person-to-person communication can be crisp, and that you start to think about how you would model your information, you know, uh, typically under regular DDD, not for data. It's how you would share what information you have in an API or whatever. But when it comes to data, it's even more about sharing that information via the data product. But that also includes the fun extra complexity of sharing the semantics, not just the, the ones and the zeros. And so like 
what we're, we're setting ourselves up for is to say, okay, we've got some kind of some ideas around our boundaries and we're going to start to, to model what we're going to do. And, and those domain boundaries can be a little bit, bit blurry. We probably want to have them be, um, we would probably want to make them as clear as possible, but not rigid so that those boundaries can move and, and find those. But we, you know, um, Andrew Harmel Law and Danilo Sato, their episode on DDD for data, they talked about find the coarse grain boundaries first. You don't have to worry about there's a domain and then there's subdomains and then there's subdomains of subdomains and things like that. That you can kind of find those those big ones where there's an obvious language shift, right? Where you're not like, okay, the difference between a flight, but you know, here is the flight number plus date. And so it's literally the actual like scheduled flight versus the difference is the flight uh, as to when it took off and landed and or, you know, this one's departures and here's one's departures versus scheduled and, and things like that. So it's about setting yourself up to communicate and then you can start to say, how would we think about communicating our domain externally so that people can have a crisp understanding of that. Is, is that the right way to think about it? Yeah, it, it is, because of course you were saying the, 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 the domain-driven design starts from within the domain and uh, distilling the correct language, understanding and sharing across all the people in, uh, within the team that is working on that domain. But this is important as well when you're sharing this data with different domains. And this is where our data comes you know, into play or the data mesh comes into play. So you're making the data available to a different team. Okay, doesn't matter the, the, the media, doesn't really matter. And it, 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 the first step is you understand what you're, what you're making available and you have a clear definition of what you're making available. Uh, so a clear term and a clear semantic of your making available, and you make this explicit in the contract, contract in a broader sense, when you're making your data available to someone else, mm-hmm. someone uh, uh, in an external team. So understanding what you're talking about first, of course, is the is the first step for <laughs> making it understandable for others. And effectively, once you have a term within your domain, you will use it when you make the data available for the other domain. Other domain will have other teams working in other domain will have to reckon that for them, the same word may have a different meaning. That's fine. As long as you have a clear definition of what the, that term means in your domain, you, you are exactly making the, example, the, making the perfect example the flight. The important thing is, when you're making your data available for the domain and you say this is a flight and a flight for, uh, I don't know, a maintenance point of view is the schedule, so the flight number and the date because mm-hmm. it's the instance of the flight if you want and not just a schedule. Right. Uh, um, and this should be an explicit part of your data contract you use for making data available to other. Uh, again, for me, the data contract is fundamental uh, and the semantic is even more important than the details about the schema. Of course, the schema is, is important. The name of the fields are important. That's obvious. But the semantic behind this data are even more important because the, 
the subtleties are there and the subtle changes and the subtle misunderstanding happen usually in the semantic. I mean, uh, if a field is a number, it's a number uh, and that's not a problem. People will not misunderstand that it is not a number. Mm, I mean, they can, but it's easily understood. But uh, what does this number mean? What is the unit? You are making a sample. It's a simple one, but it's a very one. What is the unit of measurement? What is the reference point? Uh, is a time? Okay, what is the time zone? Typically, is a time not qualified with time zone? Okay, what is the time zone? Is it implicit? Is it UTC? Is it whatever time zone? And this is part of the contract, and this is part of having an exact, clear idea of what is the, the meaning of that field, of that specific concept within your model, within your domain, and making it explicit for the others that are going to consume this data. So for them, they, they will they will have a different, they may have a different uh, definition of the same concept. That's fine. They can do the mapping because you made explicit what you mean for flight uh, and the other domain that has a slightly different definition of flight is fine. They know what are, are, are they dealing with. So they are, will be able to map uh, the flight for your domain to the flight in their domain when they have they are going to build you know some uh, analytical report for example uh, merging information from two different domains. Right. Yeah. I, I, and I had a, a, a flashback to I, I worked at a SaaS company and I was helping us to schedule our first ever downtime and we had been because we were doing some maintenance and stuff and some cost cutting and. Um, I, you know, for some reason, as I was managing the AWS cost, and and for some reason, I was also managing this downtime from a product management standpoint. But the the time zone thing was really awful because we were um, it was in the middle of when Europe and the U.S. We, we just happened to schedule it where it was when the time zones changed because of daylight savings time. And it was slightly different because I think it was that one week gap where they're different, like for a couple of the, the ones that we were doing, a couple of the regions that we were doing, and it wasn't for the other. So it was like, we just went to UTC and just went, okay, we're just going to do this as UTC. But like, just even though those things, you can easily, easily lose so much, uh, or you can make it so that the interoperability isn't there because you are just making assumptions and things like that of so so yeah i um one one thing that we had talked about previously um just you and i was how much of this do you think um a team needs to really think about when they're getting going, right? Like I, what I'm trying to, I'll, I'll just literally lay out what I am trying to, to get permission for is <laughs> how much does a team need to, or, or an organization need to think about for their POC? And then how much, what does that domain need to think about? You know, you kind of talked about the strategic versus tactical, and there's a bunch of tactical patterns that, are kind of more important on the software side than they are on the data side. So we can mm-hmm. say, hey, you can set some of this stuff uh, uh, aside. But like, how how do you think about, you know, you, maybe you can talk about this with with uh, what you did at CMC and what you're mm-hmm. doing at 
um, with some of the customers you're talking to about this of um, how much of DDD do you think somebody has to, to, to really fully grok or fully use when they're getting going? Because like the identifying the domains and all of that stuff can be, like you said, it, it's the hardest problem, right? Of, mm-hmm. of, of identifying them at the super specific level, but not at the coarse grain level, it's probably not that hard, right? Marketing is, is far different from sales, is far different from order fulfillment, is far different from, but like you start to really dig down, it becomes a lot more difficult. But like if somebody is trying to do their proof of concept or, or their, you know, to, to start, what do you think that they, they should learn for sure versus what can they save for a little bit later do you have any opinions there to really think about that? Uh, y- yes. I mean, well, kind of repeating myself, I mean, someone can learn, in terms of learning the DDD in general, they can have a look at the the strategic concept and forget about the tactical ones mm-hmm. uh, in terms of, you know, understanding uh, the domain driven design. And to be honest, the uh, strategic concepts are very intuitive, uh, are, very, are mostly common sense. Yeah, uh, and they make uh, agree. So, yeah, <laughs> you you don't have to understand specific patterns, whatever. They can put aside the the tactical ones. And in terms of you know building a POC, I would say well, it's fundamental at least to uh, reckon your own domain. So understanding what is the domain you are building the POC on, mm-hmm. at least to be sure you're not building a POC across a, a, a strong boundary right. between two domains because this might be a big mistake. And you should be able. You should be. You should make it sure you're not doing it by accident. Uh, but that doesn't really matter. Uh, doesn't really mean that you have to understand the you know the super detailed subdomain uh, specific. Uh, usually, the higher level domain are good enough. Again, the domain where the language changes substantially uh, are good enough. And then once you have identified your domain. Uh, is actually trying to distill the language. So speaking with the, reaching out to the domain expert of that domain, and again, to understand who are the domain experts, you have to understand the domain. This seems to be super obvious, but in many organizations, this is not. Uh, because you have to reach out to the real domain expert again, and not to the intermediaries, not to the translator of the languages, or the analysts that are in the, they are in the chain of communication uh, and and then again define your terms and making them very clear and very explicit and build your POC and using this terminology in your POC again again I'm repeating myself in the modeling of the data you're making available for example uh, regardless of the form I think these are the the, the starting point for me uh, it might, again, it might be useful to understand the concept of aggregate at higher level because usually, usually aggregates are fairly easy to, to identify, to be honest. They are fairly obvious mm-hmm. within a domain, so it's not very hard to identify them. Uh, they are quite natural because probably an aggregate is going to be your product. 
Right. Realistically, your your primary product or people you I, I've seen that in the community people use different uh, terminology. You know, source aligned product, primary product that doesn't really matter, but they are often aligned with the idea of aggregate, like again a, a flight for your domain for the maintenance domain, for example. Sorry, is is it kind of a, a unit of communication? Is an aggregate because it's not a specific term, but it's a unit of communication to maybe communicate a, a, what a, that event sourced event is. Like that, you're is that what you would call an aggregate? Because I'm just uh, not as familiar with the exact terminology. Yeah, yeah. Aggregate. Well, there there are definitions. There are different definitions. I, I can't tell you, uh, uh, <laughs> of course, uh, off top of my mind, the exact definition. But yet, yeah, is effectively yeah, it's the logical unit uh, of, of communication, if you want. But it's also the uh, the, the the smallest boundary where changes are consistent i know i'm i'm getting into more formal uh, uh um into more formal definitions here um but yes it is definitely the the unit you are sharing your data with someone else someone okay. external so it's not an accidental technical uh, element that is usually internal to the domain internal to some operational system is a logical a group of information that lives together. Uh, I don't know, a person, for example, I'm not using customer because customer has many, many flavors. Mm-hmm. A person in, in a domain usually is well, well identified. You know, you have an identity, you have a name, you might have an address and other information attached to that. That's clear. Or again, a portfolio in a specific domain, a portfolio in for the uh, investment team is an asset allocation, something very clear. This is an aggregate. This is a set of information that can be communicated as one together. And you can communicate the state of, uh, of that aggregate at a given point in time. So what is now? Or what was a month ago at a specific point in time? But that's consistent. That's uh, self-contained, if you want. And And... One question I have, you know, we've talked about some of the that evolution and that there's a reality that this is like an iterative process. You're not going to get it right. There is no right. It's it's is this good or is this functioning or is this not right? Like that kind of concept. Um, one thing that I'm seeing in a lot of data mesh journey stories is people, the ones who are who've been successful on getting going are the ones that are starting with kind of a manageable <laughs> amount of communication that they're trying to do, right? They're not trying to do um, all of the data in the domain and communicate that out as early as possible. Um, when you think about what you've seen historically from what's worked on the DDD side of kind of phasing in your communication that you're not you're not sharing you know data on the inside data on the outside it's not that you all of a sudden go from sharing none of the uh none of your data to sharing all of your data on the outside the next yep. day is is there a, a way that you think about how to how do i not, not even identify what should be shared i think that's where the consumers tell you this is the data i need and you can start to to think about that as to can I serve that demand if it's the most difficult 
thing to put together. You don't want to start by doing that really because you don't have that muscle on how to share and stuff. But like, is there something that you think about there that that? Uh, well- yeah, no, no, this is a good point. Of course, there are different dimensions. And of course, this is my uh, put myself putting the consultant heads. It depends. You're the third Sorry. episode on DDD for data, and all three people have said exactly that because it is <laughs> there, there is no this is the cookie cutter framework. Because if someone comes to you with a cookie cutter framework, they're doing DDD wrong because it's not exactly. designed for your organization. So yes, it, exactly. it depends. Like Exactly. It depends. Uh, so if you're starting your journey, of course, you, you should start with something that is manageable. Uh, you should be consumer driven, of course, because otherwise, you know, you're building something uh, without uh, any uh, uh, confirmation by your consumer so you're you're building nothing essentially you, you if you want you don't you're not delivering any value you're not uh, proofing that what you're building makes sense and is actually delivering value so you must be consumer driven but on the other side uh, you you should start i think uh, with more uh, produce uh, producer aligned uh, data product or primary data products or fundamental data products or fundamental data sources because these are going to be probably a more sensible starting point. Um, I'm making a, a real-world example uh, from a previous experience, a, a, again, a trading company I was working with. And for them, uh, prices were a very fundamental data sources uh, regardless of the use case, to be honest, but most of the analytical use cases, uh, we are using prices and the history of prices, you know, the, the fluctuation of the price of a stock or whatever for, uh, well, all the reporting, all the uh, building of uh, modeling uh, for trading models was based on this information. Uh, so we decided to start with pricing and me making the prices data available to the others. So starting with the, we focused on the uh, uh, domain that was generating the prices within the organization. In this case, it was quite clear and we were lucky. Uh, and also this has the advantage that the prices are very well defined, well, at least, I mean, in this context for a trading company. Is a very well-defined aggregate, if we want to use the domain-driven design terminology. And this was going to be useful for many, many other use cases. So it was a kind of striking the balance between being uh, consumer-driven versus producer-driven. Because if you are purely consumer-driven, you uh, often end up with very higher-level derived data products. And this might be challenging as a first iteration. Because uh, this derived data product, you know, for example, uh, um, uh, revenue uh, information uh, are, are very, very important. And uh, in that case, there was uh, an ask about uh, revenue information, of course. But the problem is revenue is derived from many, many other data products. And you can start from revenue. Because if you start with building the revenue data product, you, you will have to build uh, a, a dozen of uh, other data product behind that to be able to build the derived data product for revenue uh, and then deliver the, the value to your consumer. So if you want, is also finding the right consumer <laughs> to justify the starting of your journey. 
So, so this is is something that I think you you phrased it in a way that is far better than than I have on on a, a couple of previous ones. Because what I've been saying is start kind of with the consumer aligned data product. But I think what what I've been thinking of is the consumer aligned use case. And so it is like that you're you're going to the producers and saying, hey, we're not asking you to produce all of your data everywhere. It's that we're going to have kind of a, uh, a tighter framing around what the you were starting with a kind of one to one consumer. And it might be like if you looked at what um, Intuit talked about with their first um, data product or DPG media as well, it was getting or with their first their POC, it was getting data from a couple of different producers and then creating that derived data product was the POC. So it was getting the, the, the producers to produce something, but produce it in that tighter framework, right? So that we're not saying produce all your data on the outside up front. It's produce a table, not even a data set, but produce a table. And then we're going to use that for a couple of specific use cases to get to that value. And that value might be itself a consumer-aligned data product, or it may be that it's off the mesh and that it's not considered that, or it's a data application, or whatever you think about. But that we we think about that tighter bounding around not going to a domain and saying you've got to share all of your data now, because th- this is the thing where I'm finding Absolutely. the people who are struggling with getting things going is they're going to the domains and saying, you now have to share all your data instead of like, hey, let's talk to you about what you've got. And then let's talk about what would be useful. Like your this your data that you're, you're producing is used in this way. We want to make it so that it's cleaner and that it's more uh, friendly to people downstream. So let's let's figure out how we get there and work together instead of like, you now have to share all your data. Yeah, I, I absolutely agree. I mean, this would be a big bang uh, approach that never works. Uh, <laughs> not with data, not with <laughs> software, uh, and it would be a failure. You, you should be, uh, as you were saying, consumer-driven. But yeah, but the challenge is finding the right consumer. So probably in an agile way, so finding the initial uh, thin slice to deliver, the initial MVP, if you want, might be, okay, going identifying roughly the high-level domains, the core ones at least, well, it should be high-level. It, it usually is not too hard. Mm-hmm. Okay, Going around the uh, main consumers, and they will have their asks, and, and building a kind of you know mental backlog, if you want, high-level backlog of them, trying to figure out whether the data product that will be needed for satisfying each of their asks is going to be a derived one or a primary, or again, sorry, I'm interchangeably using the one terminology or the other. So producer aligned rather than uh, a consumer aligned. Yeah. I prefer primary versus derived. I think is more is more sensible as terminology, but they are the same thing. So figuring out what kind of data product they need and pick the one to start that is actually using a primary data product. So a, yeah. a producer-aligned data product as a starting point. Doesn't mean it will end there. And then going to the producer domain and telling them, okay, let's start with this. Let's build a vertical slice 
with this new new approach and make this aggregate only this one available externally in, in the with the new approach uh, with the, with the proper data contract with a controlled uh, in a controlled way uh, all the, the you know the pillars around the data mesh but just starting with one if you if you start again sorry i'm repeating myself again if you start with the drive data project product you have the challenge uh, either you hack and you actually build your derived data product from non-data products. So you are going in, in data on the inside into some other domain, you're stealing them, the old patterns, yeah. the old ETL patterns, but then you, you still have the same problem you used to have. Or you have to build you know, a graph of data products just to be able to, be able to, to build eventually this derived data product for satisfying your your first uh, customer your first consumer and this might be long yeah effectively so well, and, and uh, i did also want to highlight something that you had said previously which is a, a very common uh thing which is the number of times that um you need to get people into the room where it's the direct conversations that you don't have the people that are um not the you were talking about this specifically for the domain experts, but it's it's common as well where the data engineers are the translation vehicle between the producers and consumers. And and like this, I, I think what you're talking about here also that this applies of like you go to the consumers and you you then figure out where the producers are, and then you all three, like the the traditional translators are sitting in the room to then have all three of you in the same thing where you, where the traditional translators are like, hey, if you're saying a thing and you're saying a thing and I know that you're not matching, like, let's, let's figure that out. But other than that, I'm going to be fly on the wall and that we're going to, we're going to get you to get into the same room together. Cause that's just not been the way we've done communication. And so like communication is key in, in DDD. It's one of those things that's that's super funny because it's like, what do you mean these people have never talked to each other? Yes, no, uh, exactly. This is actually a good point. So the let's say the traditional translators, the business analysts, the technical analysts uh, should be in the room uh, for facilitating the conversation. Uh, the, the the point is, you know, not acting as intermediaries, not playing the telephone game, the child telephone game yeah. between the domain expert and the team. But yes, that's that's a good idea. That's a point. It's, it's amazing how often I bring up the game of telephone. I hope it's an international game and that it's not just uh, a thing that happens, but it sounds like it's not just uh, an English country game. So, um, or English speaking country game. So it's, it's good to, to hear that as well. Um, so I, I did want to wrap up on, you know, we've covered a whole lot of different things. We talked a little bit about data on the inside, data on the outside. If people aren't familiar, the very general concept is your data on the inside is how you think about or how you, you store and work with your data internally to your own domain. And your data on the outside is the data you should share and that you need to put it into a way to share that with other domains. Um, so there's a great post by Pat Helland who introduces this. You can just look that up or I'll, I'll, I'll drop it in the show notes as well. Um, uh, but how do we identify 
what is data on the inside and what is data on the outside? Because I think, you know, and, and that, again, we don't have to immediately start sharing all your data on the outside, right? Like, I don't want people going to domains and going, now you have to share all of your data. But like, how do you think about identifying that and that that evolution as well as you start to go, oh, well, this was on the inside. We want to kind of move data on the threshold. Like, okay, we want to start to share this or or talk about sharing this and see if anybody wants it. Like all those little kind of fun intricacies of DDD. No, no, this is a good point. So, well, of course, data on the inside and data on the outside, there are definitions around a domain. So you should find the boundary of the domain first. <laughs> uh, and then inside or outside is referred to the, the domain itself. That Okay, that's the starting point. Thing is, we are not talking about different data, if you want, different concepts or different aggregates, if you want to use the, uh, the domain-driven design terminology. We, we might be talking about the same aggregates that are both on the inside and on the outside, but it's more about the form or the transport or the storage, if you want. So data on the inside are typically the operational data. The operational data are data on the inside. I prefer, personally, I prefer to make a distinction data on the inside and on the outside rather than operational versus analytical Yeah, because it's closer to that, but that doesn't really matter. So uh, it's the, logically, it can be the same data, again, the same aggregate, uh, flight, <laughs> to use the same example. But then what you have, if your domain is the domain that is managing the uh, maintenance of, uh, of, the, of the aircraft, for example, and they have a concept of flight uh, there, and it's an aggregate, it's a valuable aggregate for their domain, they will probably have some um, uh, technical you know, storage, database, transport, streaming within the domain for satisfying the operational application, doing whatever is the domain. These are definitely data on the inside. Nobody from the outside, so from other domains, should get into your database and steal this data. Because the point is, if you start stealing this data with the you know, traditional ETL, the E of the ETL is actually should be S, should be stealing. <laughs> uh, um, the problem is, uh, is not privacy. The problem is, uh, well, the, 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 the team that is managing the application of that domain should be free of changing that data, the structure, the schema, the, the logic of the data, but the semantic, even worse, that's hard to detect because of new features, because of improvement. And they shouldn't pay attention when they change that to the other consumer that lives externally and they are accidentally stealing their data. Uh, um, and, and this is actually the, the root of many problems with the traditional right. way of distributing data across the organization. Why, when you decide that this data is actually valuable for someone else externally, you make this data, data on the outside, better. You make a copy of the data in a different form, transformed. Doesn't mean it's not one-to-one. It's not one table that becomes one table on the outside. It can be the case. can be something completely different. Uh, the important thing is data on the outside must be aligned with the domain concepts and not accidental representation of the internal you know, database that might be, I don't know, optimized for the operation, optimized for the transactional use cases. When you're making data available on the outside, that must be modeled 
around logical domain aggregate, so an entity that makes sense uh, for the domain. And you're making some data uh, available on the outside. You are making a copy available on the outside. Again, uh, we are not talking about a one-to-one copy, but can be a transformation or an aggregation different one. And, and this is a, 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 a this is not an accidental uh, job. So when you're making this data available, you are representing some very well-defined domain uh, uh, concept. You're uh, you're some very well-defined aggregate, and then you are as we are saying, uh, designing, defining your contract, and you ha- you will have to put uh, effort in not breaking that contract. And the contract is not just the schema, it's not just you know the fields, but also the so-called non-functional uh, requirement, like for example, how often is are these data updated? Uh, what is the I don't know uh, acceptable latency uh, in broader term? Latency doesn't mean to be millisecond; can be one day, but it's still latency. And this should be part of the contract because anybody. From the outside, who should who goes there and start consuming this data, this data product should know exactly what is the contract you are you, you are exposing this data with. Yeah, that that the ability to evolve your application schema is is crucial because otherwise your application, if it's if it's stagnant, then you know, or if it's if it's static, then it's stagnant. Is what I've started to say. Yep, because you know, and so you have to also give the domains the ability to understand what when they're going to make an application change if that's going to sh- break the way that they share their data on the outside because yeah. you know so we have to to work with them to do that but they they do have to be cognizant that of what is being consumed why it's being consumed which we haven't given them the the real capability to do that historically and, well and, and data contracts I don't like the word contract because it, it is, it's like we are going to do this until we don't versus it's, it's kind of more of a, a, an agreement as to, you know, here are the structure, here's the, the things that we're going to do. And when it's going to change, we're going to work with you to version it. We're not going to break it out from underneath you, which has been the historical challenge so much with data is the application evolution broke all the things because of that one-to-one coupling between your operational data model and your um, the data model that you're sharing, the domain data model, and that we didn't give the application teams the ability to understand what would be breaking or who's consuming it or why. But we still, there are times when that application model is, is going to change enough that the, the data contract has to change or the domain data model, like the actual yep. business has changed enough that we need to change the data product anyway, that, that the, the, what we're sharing is no longer valid, you know, valid. And that's yep. the, the big problem as well with the enterprise data warehouse is that there's this firm, firm, firm contract, and it's very, very difficult to make any changes. So upstream changes break everything, but it's also very difficult to change when the business has changed, if the business isn't evolving, if the domain isn't evolving, it's 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 a big problem as well. So, yeah, no, I, no, exactly, exactly, exactly that. And and well, making a distinction between data on the inside and the data product, aka data on the outside, you you are, you have one point of decoupling, 
So at least you can, you know, absorb, you can buffer some of the changes that are happening on the inside. But then, as you're saying, uh, sometimes the business changes. Sometimes there are changes required. So you need to change your data on the inside. And well, from my point of view, the is part of the contract, the fact that you can change the contract, but there must be mutual a- agreement. Yeah. It can't be changed accidentally. There must be mutual agreement. So uh, I know I need to change it. I need to, for example, uh, maintain backward compatibility for a while. Uh, and I need to talk with uh, all the consumer and agree uh, a migration plan. But at least I have a very well-defined point I need to you know, manage. And it's not my whole uh, 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 cloud of data on the inside within my domain, my complex schema of my application that uh, in theory should change often. Again, it's about putting a decoupling point. And also, I think the last point that is very, very important with the idea of domain-driven design, with the idea of data mesh, you're making, putting the responsibility of maintaining this product in the hands of the same team or, or extended team, if you want, who is working on the domain itself, not yeah. a third team that is accidentally managing. Uh, they are accidentally technical custodian of a data platform. Yeah, so it's exactly. the same team is working or working closely, at least with the domain team who understand the domain, understand what they're doing, understand why it needs to change and managing the change. And and one thing I've been saying as well is that consumers, historically, they've they've been kind of locked in on what they're consuming Right. Because anytime that has changed, it's been a breaking change versus now we have a communication vehicle to make those changes. And those consumers have to understand that changes are going to happen. They are coming, but that it's not chaotic change. It's structured change. It's change together. It's a reason behind the change. And often it's the changes that this is better. Right, like this is going to be more informative. This better maps, and that we're we're not doing the same report for no reason. So, um, well, th- this has been super super awesome. Um, I, I think this is going to be very very helpful for a lot of folks. Um, is there anything we didn't cover that you you wanted to or? No, I think we are good. Okay, uh, we are. Where we talk about? Yeah, where where's the best? place for people to get in touch with you? What do you want people getting in touch with you about? I'll drop the jobs link or the, the careers page link for uh, Mesh AI in the, <laughs> um, in the show notes as well. But uh, what, you know, LinkedIn or is it? Well, LinkedIn Twitter? is fine. LinkedIn is fine. Uh, you, well, you can put the link there. Yes, I, I think that, No, actually, there is another guy with my same name, but he's not working at Mesh AI. So it should be <laughs> oh. easy to uh, disambiguate. I'll, I'll drop the uh, the link to your LinkedIn directly in the show notes so people can jump through from there. But what, what do you want people reaching out to you about? Is there a specific, you know, whether it's DDD for data or anything else, is there something that you want to talk to people about? Uh, I'm happy to have chats about this subject because, again, it's an open subject. Let's people feel free to get in touch. I'm very, very happy to have a discussion and share experience uh, about these subjects, okay. uh, I'm 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 learning. Yeah, uh, open to communication. Yeah, well, this this has been so great, Lorenzo. Thank you so much for for taking the time, and thank you everybody for listening. I'd again like to thank my guest today, Lorenzo Nicora, who's the principal data consultant at Mesh AI. You can find links to the 
data on the inside, data on the outside post that we had talked about, as well as a link to Lorenzo's contact information in the show notes. Hopefully that interview episode was really useful for you. Please do consider getting in touch with guests from the show, from these episodes. Most have said they'd really love people to reach out to them. And please, as well, if you've got a minute, rate and review the podcast somewhere. It really is honestly super helpful for other people looking into kind of data podcasts to kind of get this in front of them. Data Mesh Radio is again provided as a free community resource by Data Mesh Understanding. It's produced and hosted by me, Scott Herleman. In April of 2023, I left Data Stacks, who were wonderful in getting the Data Mesh community stuff started. So give them a shout for streaming and real-time AI needs. But I left to start my own industry analyst kind of information as a service firm. Our offerings are affordable and you can do them on a one-off or a month-to-month basis. You know, read kind of Throw it on the credit card. Don't worry about like going through purchasing and things like that. The services include lots of practitioner roundtables, you know, one-on-one data mesh kind of planning or feedback sessions and tailored introductions to other data mesh practitioners that are focused around your topics of interest. You know, what, what are you actually running into challenges with? We also have some free programs around introductions and roundtables that people can kind of check out as well. Check the show notes or just go to datameshunderstanding.com for more info or helpful resources. As always, if you have suggestions for guests or topics, please do get in touch as well. And have a wonderful rest of your day. Now let's hear that funky outro music.